welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Our top story is that I have absolutely cracked the code, and I'm not happy about it, on why the Alzheimer's drug approval has been getting so much news. But I'm saving that as the last big story of the free 30 because it is so big and it is also not the top headline of the day the top headline of the day is that the election bill has been blocked in the senate so 50 percent uh the 50 senators who were democrats wanted to go forward with this bill and 50 who were republicans did not and unless they had actually a 60 senate senator majority 60 senator uh, yeah, majority, then it leaves the Republicans are able to just filibuster. So before it ever gets to a vote, they have the opportunity to debate and one Republican just won't ever give up the floor. So it's really not worth going through that process. And as we learned yesterday, that's not really what they want. They want to bring this failure to the next election cycle. Now, I I don't know if they're really going to leave the voting thing on the table for another two years, but it is possible. That's exactly what they wanted. They wanted it to fail. You're correct. I got an email almost immediately and they were prepping their indivisibles and their audience for this failure in the days leading up to it. They wanted it to fail because the filibuster has been on their list to eliminate for a long, long time. And this what the email I got from Indivisible is all about the filibuster and how it is wasting time playing games and causing the For the People Act to fail. And the congressional recess is going to be there's going to be a two week recess starting in a couple of days. And they've already been organizing their activists and there's going to be just a bunch of activist activity going on during that recess. This is one of those things that when Trump was championing just a straight up and down vote for stuff like this and anything else, he was against the filibuster. He used to say it was ridiculous. And he got all of the people who were in his cult of personality to support that. And it's very hard once you have people move on an issue to get them to come back and staunchly defend it. And that is what the danger with Trump was, that he replaced personality with uh, he replaced ideology with personality. And that is a wedge in the door for stuff like this, the infrastructure bill, a lot of things. You're exactly right. That's a psychological tactic. You get people to commit to something publicly and take action on it. And then it makes it hard for them to go against it because they want to maintain that psychological consistency. There's another weird thing in the news today about elections, or I should say something that's kind of page six or whatever is buried. But it was weird to me. And it's that in the Democratic primary for the New York mayor race, the city of New York's mayor race, they have a, a ranked choice ballot. So you go in and there's say there are five candidates and you rank them. Who's your first, who's your second, who's your third, fourth, fifth. So what, ha- what they're doing is the way they described it in the paper was they take the lowest ranking candidates overall. So the guy who got the least amount of votes, Andrew Yang actually conceded with 11% of the votes and they take the votes of that guy, whoever voted for that guy, they go ahead and move it to the second choice of that particular ballot. So first of all, it's a very fussy, clumsy way of voting. But the problem with it to me is information has value. So if you, if that's your rank in the current uh, field and then 
new information is gathered because all the votes are taken in, then there's new information that is not reflected in your vote. It actually reminds me of the Monty Hall problem. Are you familiar with the Monty Hall problem? No. It's like behind door number one, door number two, and door number three is the Rolls Royce. You have to pick. You you pick door one. And he says, nope, it's not behind door one. Yeah, it's like a Do duck wanna- behind door one, right? Something like that. Do you want to, maybe, it's a complicated problem. So if you, if he says, okay, there's no, uh, it's not behind door one. Do you want to change your choice? And the answer is, and this answer has been attributed to the smartest person who ever lived, who happens to be a female and yada, yada, yada. But it's absolutely right. You do change your choice. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. You say, is it, he said, this is it. You say, I want door one. And he says, okay, I'll just tell you something. It's not behind door two. Okay. Do you want to change your choice to door three from door one? And the answer is yes, you do. Because he's giving you information. You pick door one. So it's either behind door one or it isn't. But if you had picked door three, you don't know whether he would have said it's not behind door one. You know, you don't know that you eliminated that possibility for him. So it's possible that it that it is behind. It's more likely that it's behind door three than door one, because that piece of information he gave you was defined by your initial choice of door one. So it lends the odds towards Three. It is now like two thirds chance or something like that, that it's behind three, not 50 50. So it's kind of like that. Like as you get more information, any bit of information has a value. You might want, because if the guy who's, if your second choice is another loser, you could be promoting your fourth choice by not choosing your third guy once you realize that, you know, that the fourth guy is more in the running. Yeah. So it's so, a lot to wrap your head around, and the people voting aren't familiar with that when they go in to do the. Sorry, it's not a lot. To, it's not. I'm not. It's a lot to wrap your head around what I'm telling you, but it's not a lot. It's not. They don't have to wrap their head around anything. They're making a rank of five. That rank might change in their actual opinion if they knew what the information that everyone else will find out the next day. So there's no way that they could game it, even if they thought it through properly, because they're missing information that will not emerge until after everyone's cast their ballot. So you're taking that information and you are not allowing the voter to use it, which means it's giving you value, not the voter. It is a complicated choice. It's a complicated situation, but it's not... Because it's hard to understand, it's because you are making choices before the information is known when you could, there's no reason not to wait, do a runoff. Okay, so they don't have the value of having that information to evaluate their choices before. Right, like their choice might change once the ballots are cast and more information is available to them. Yeah. So that's why... So I'm sure they're trying. My guess is that they are saying that this is a response to the complicated issue of runoffs. But yeah, I remember them presenting yeah. this this rank choice thing a while back. Stacey Abrams was behind it a little bit. I bet because <laughs> it's bad on the surface. It seems like a good idea, but explaining what you just explained, it puts it in a new light that it's actually more complicated. But after the fact, and people can't do anything about their choice after that. 
Right. And and it's it's because there there is information in the in the previous way they did it. The information wasn't captured by anyone. The value of that information wasn't captured by anyone. The voters had at the same time. So it's just it's just a way. And it also does introduce the possibility of some funny business because, boy, that is complicated math. And, you know, but whatever. That's a good point. You have to keep those ballots intact and then you have to cycle through that particular. You know, it has to be digital. You could never do that. You could actually physically not in any kind of timely fashion, do it with paper ballots. So it, once you start this process, but it's just the primary. So it's it a like party a test thing. Run, it seems like. I, I don't know, like, if we're going to have multiple parties on the big ballot. I doubt that. But anyway, yeah, maybe it's a test run of what do you do with your libertarian vote when your libertarian candidate doesn't win? Like Shane Hazel. You know, you could say, would his votes have gone for towards uh, Ossoff or or who is he running against? It was the Purdue Ossoff race that he yeah. spoiled, supposedly. Think, yeah. You really don't know if it was would have gone to the Democrat or the Republican. You really don't know because libertarians can have like single issue voters from either party. But that you'll say, yeah, so you get the so, data on which way libertarians will go when they don't get their way. Right. So so maybe like that second choice preference might work in a three party race with a libertarian. But not like this. This doesn't this is something that I think is takes some of the value away from the voter. And just as an aside, Curtis Sliwa, who was that famous. Um, what did you call him? Where, what did they call them? They're like Green Berets or whatever. He was a vigilante group, basically like a private. I remember when I was a little kid in New York, him emerging, like stopping crimes. And anyway, he's been, I guess, active since then. He's got a talk show and stuff. So he is the Republican. I think he won the Republican primary, but because Democrats outweigh Republicans six to one, outnumber them six to one in (laughs) the city, I doubt Curtis Sliwa is going to be the next mayor of New York. Perhaps they outweigh them six to one as well. We we don't know. Yes, <laughs> you don't know. Then you've got the masters of the universe, also heavy hitters in New York. Looks like they're flexing their muscle, huh? Morgan Stanley. Yeah. So Morgan Stanley, you always see these big companies. They make this big bold move. The news covers it, and it's like a signal to other companies, and either they fall in line and do the same thing, or they go against the grain and they get demonized. Morgan Stanley to bar unvaccinated employees, and here's how. It's going to work. It's They're not giving a lot of specifics, which is interesting. It's going to staff and clients as well as customers and, and really anybody who comes in, they're, they can't come in unless they're fully vaccinated. Employees will be working at home if they're not fully vaccinated. So this is, you know, the remote employee thing. This is seems like it was kind of planned now for this. You know, so you can have the unvaccinated stay away and stay working at home. And employees are required to confirm their vaccination status by July 1st. So that's that's one way they described it. Another way they described it is that this new policy, they're going to require the employees to attest that they have been fully vaccinated. So confirm, attest. What does that mean? And honor another, system? Do what? That The honor system? Sorry, the honor system? See, I think that they're starting with the honor system. I think this is part of it because another company, Golden Sachs, has asked employees to be back in the offices 
offices as well, but they're going to be required to divulge whether they have been vaccinated. So we have divulge, attest, confirm. This all leaves it in the court of the employee, and I think it sets it up for someone to get caught lying, and I think it sets it up for an outbreak to happen, a quote, outbreak to happen within an office, which will, I think, bring calls, not necessarily to mandate some sort of vaccine card, but to require transparency through ESG standards through the Great Reset, stakeholder capitalism. We need to have transparency. Companies need to report the vaccine status and however they're going to do it, however they're going to force their employees to show it. Um, They're going to enforce consequences, I think, and I think it's going to be more related to ESG, although it could be some sort of law presented as well. It's uh, now that you mentioned the WEF stuff I was going to bring today, but it's way, way, way too much to look at that there is a uh, there was an article in the World Economic Forum, a white paper of theirs called Building Back Broader Policy Pathways for an Economic Transformation, which I was saying, I've been quoting Biden all week as saying this is part of an economic transformation. And the reason I was looking at this is all this weird stuff that's happening with the labor market right now. I thought that has got to be a Davos plan. But I have something to say about your Morgan Stanley story. Yeah, let me give you one more bit of information. I I think the personal social credit score related to the ESG could be a factor. So a person who gets caught lying about a vaccination, perhaps. And also they said, and I was curious about how they were going to handle this, about people with religious exemptions. And they said, some employees may choose not to get vaccinated for health or religious reasons. And the company will deal with these situations on a case-by-case basis, which is interesting because if you let one in, the whole thing's blown. I, I actually do believe that case by case is always better. It's like a, a very kind of Fifth Amendment thing. I like case by case. I I am like, you know, I, I was already pretty mad at the Pope. Now I'm really mad at the Pope because it is against my religion to get this. But the Pope, who is now also against my religion, is <laughs> it has said that it isn't against my religion. He's wrong. But because he he's only, quote, infallible when he speaks from the throne of Peter on matters of of faith and morals. Yeah. So this, when people say, oh, I thought the Pope was infallible, he's absolutely not infallible. Uh, so anyway, in, in in this case, but I'll tell you that uh, I have a couple of issues with this kind of thing. So you're saying that, I, I went to the gym this morning, the gym, my little place where I take a class, a bar class, and I love it. And I know people get mad at me for like capitulating to their mask and stuff like that, but I'm not a great exerciser. So if I find something that works for me, I can't, it's like the only thing that's ever worked for me. So I went and she asked her, she said, you don't have to wear a mask if you have your vax status, vax card. And I said, well, if I if I show you the vax card, are you going to upload that information into your system? And she said, yeah, they just want to, you know, keep a record of it. And I said, well, here's the thing. And my, my ploy was, I know I, this is, is a longer story. I'm not going to get into it, but... I, 
the idea, the impression I gave was that, you know, people will steal VAX numbers. I don't want my VAX number in your system because I don't think you can secure it properly. This is my medical information and HIPAA requires certain security protocols around anyone who's holding someone else's medical information. And look at all the cyber hacks into medical information, right? So, yeah. So I think HIPAA, I don't know if you're familiar with HIPAA, but people are trying to say that HIPAA should be eliminated, that it's outdated, but it's how you get privacy. So they can ask for it, but I don't think they can store it unless they can secure it according to HIPAA standards. So I'd be interested in how Morgan Stanley, for example, is going to handle that, how they're going to handle the liability of encouraging the uh, people to do something that has not been approved. By the way, I'm, this is, I rarely tease to the free 30s story once, much less twice, but boy, did I crack the code on how they're going to get around that FDA approval stuff. Uh, anyway, and, and, but I think there, there is another, like the, another scene is opening up the act three or whatever, because in the Wall Street Journal today is an opinion piece titled, are COVID vaccines riskier than advertised? And yeah, it even says in here, uh, while you would never know it from listening to public health officials, not a single published study has demonstrated that patients with a prior infection benefit from COVID vaccinations. Like that, that, that's big because these places aren't allowing antibodies or proof of previous infection to exempt people from the vaccine, even though there's absolute people have had it already. I had it already, so I know, like I've done the research, not that I wouldn't anyway, but people who have had it already are less infectious. They're, the breakthrough cases are much rarer with people who've already had it, and the immunity is stronger. So I don't know how is why they, you know, this stuff is not backed by side, but of course, you know, nothing is, right? Yeah, I wonder why the Wall Street Journal puts that in there almost perhaps to to knock back the claim ultimately. I don't know what they're going to... I don't think so. I think... I think something's changing. Like, I think I'd, I'd already kind of thought that, look, if they're going to get people vaccinated, bef- they want to get everyone who they can before people realize what the downsides are, know someone who's injured, whatever. Like, there's a big push. And then something's going to change. They're going to because they don't really need if they're if their goal is to get the spike protein in you. People who have had COVID have already had the spike, have the spike protein in them. They don't really have to vaccinate those people. So if they want to kind of feel like they're incorporating science or whatever, maybe like now is the time to allow people to get the Novavax vaccine, the conventional one, because you've already gotten that gene therapy into everyone who will take it. I don't know, but I feel like they, you know, they see how your, your, penetration rate or whatever is tapering off, probably fell off a cliff. And now they can enter a new phase of propaganda and goal setting and agenda setting. I don't know, but I feel like this is a signal for that. Oh, they have. They, they rolled that out very clearly yesterday, which is not, which we're going to get to a, a little bit later. You mentioned something about, you were talking about the VAX requirements. So 153 hospital employees were fired or they quit over this vax requirement this was at houston methodist hospital and what happened was 178 employees were suspended because they were unvaccinated they got no pay and they missed a a june 7th deadline to get the vaccination during the suspension time they were given a little bit of time to get the vaccination those who did not comply were fired And so 153 of them ended up fired. 117 of these staff members had sued the hospital, claiming that the COVID-19 vaccines were experimental 
and required an, and requiring inoculations of the workers made them guinea pigs. And a U.S. District, district Court judge tossed out the suit on June 12th and said that it's false to label the vaccines as experimental. And the judge's reasoning on throwing the suit out was that if a worker refuses an assignment or they refuse an office change or an earlier start time or any other directive, then they can be properly fired. Every employment includes limits on the worker's behavior in exchange for remuneration. This is all part of the bargain. It's interesting reasoning. And of course, it's an appeal. This question is going to be played out in the courts. But that's not a behavior. I know. That's not a behavior. That is a, a very serious medical procedure that you're requiring a healthy person to undergo without. I mean, that needs to go to court for sure. Yeah. And so that's what that's why they want these activist judges in the locales as well as in the Supreme Court. That's why there's a lot of push to put their people where they want them. Well, yeah, the judiciary has clearly been hijacked in many ways. I mean, the, the Bill Cosby case is very clear on that. Uh, I, it's not everywhere. Look at Garland's case. I mean, boy, I think Fulton County made a big mistake moving that to Henry. I, I think that that Garland, I'm talking about the voter suppression stuff, if you got or the election integrity stuff, if people are following us on Saturdays. But uh, let me just tell you a little something I discovered or refreshed my memory on about the Delta variant. So uh, there are a lot of people I listen to expect or beginning to expect that. And for a long time, actually, I have to give the hat tip to some of those guys. I think Michael Pento, who I heard on Rebel Capitalist, said this before it was uh obvious or likely that the Delta variant or whatever variants would would bring would usher this whole thing back to us more lockdowns and stuff in the fall that this is not actually over and the event 201 did say that people would think it was over and then it would come back with a vengeance and be worse and kill more people I don't know if this Delta variant narrative is that but so it looks like that is getting ginned up but I looked into it and it, it, it would be very, very unusual, if not unprecedented, for the second wave of a of a what's a, really a very minor variant would actually be stronger, deadlier. What it should be is more infectious because people that it should be less virulent and more infectious. It should just spread around to everybody as we start getting out and stuff. But people who are really sick stay home. So variants that make you sicker get get withdrawn from from the population. The San Bernardino doctors said that from day one. They said you just that's what herd immunity is all about. And then specifically the I guess that they're looking at the Delta variant or some of the variants they're talking about have as little as six nucleotide mutations out of uh, a possible 30,000 RNA bases, which are made up of 10,000 amino acids. Anyway, the bottom line is it these new variants are 99.7% similar to the original Wuhan sequence. And it might be interesting to understand how the immune system works and why that by itself makes it very clear that even with a vaccinated person, and especially with someone who's already had COVID, it is highly likely that your immune system will handle that because the way it works apparently is the virus, the seed, the whole entire genome is by your immune system break, broken up into a bunch of little pieces, hundreds. And your immune system recognizes each of those hundreds of little pieces. So if you get a virus, an intact virus that has some, some variations in it, 
most of its segments will be something that your immune system recognizes in its entirety. So your immune system has hundreds of sequences it's looking for that are in that whole virus, regardless if there are some mutations. And what's more is different people have parsed that thing up in different ways. So it's even if somebody doesn't, you know, has the weird uh, coincidence that their immune system is foiled by those variants, that would be rare and other people wouldn't feel that way. So it's unlikely that this would take fire and get worse uh, and spread out of control. And uh, even to the point where most colds will give you immunity to coronavirus, some estimates are 80%, which would be why COVID-19 only affected 10% of the people. I never get colds and I got COVID, maybe because I just haven't been exercising my cold immunities all these years. But the numbers seem to work. And this was a uh, quite a good article I read. It'll be in the show notes. I tweeted it by... Uh, Yeadon, who used to be a high ranking member of Pfizer and is now turned to like being an actual, you know, uh, a contrarian when it comes to this stuff. So it's it's well worth reading that article. And I just thought it'd be interesting to hear that kind of more of the science behind why your immunity should be effective, even with a variant. Well, what Dr. Fauci is telling people, and he was telling people yesterday, is that those who are still dying of COVID are overwhelmingly unvaccinated. And it's because of how dangerous the Delta variant is, especially to young people between the ages of 18 and 26. And maybe in the Patron 15, I'll go a little bit deeper on this vaccine propaganda messaging campaign, the new one they've rolled out, because it is very interesting. I I do find that I think what they're going to tell us, and you gave us a hint at that yesterday that they're going to say, oh, now vaccinated people are getting the Delta variant because the unvaccinated people made such a great little Petri dish for it and it wouldn't have they kept it alive. I guarantee you you're going to hear that the unvaccinated kept it alive, incubated it, and then the vaccinated people now have it. Although it all came out of the places where they were doing the AstraZeneca trials. So they may have been creating super strains one way or another, but it's Brazil the UK and South Africa. And I'd keep my eye on Kenya as well. Yeah. A quick little tease for you and how they're trying to get this new messaging out is they're having 911 dispatchers call you. Oh, yes, I saw that. I saw that. Uh, the, yes. Then the patron 15, that and also the vaccination propaganda on steroids. Right. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So before we get to our last story of the free 30, this is a great show, I'm telling you, because we've got lots more to come in the Patreon 15. And for the last big story, I have absolutely cracked the code on why the latest Alzheimer's drug approval is getting so much press. But first, here's a preview of what you'll get in the Patreon 15, aside from those uh, extra bonuses that we, we were planning to get to in the free 30, but ran out of time, is the, for me, the 21st century dialectic seems to be taking shape in France. And I want to give you the very big picture on that. And for you, Binkley, you're going to tell us why uh, Ikea probably needs to stay in its lane because (laughs) Swedes don't know S about Juneteenth. I'm telling you. (laughs) So, uh, but I do want to give a big thanks to the sponsor of today's show. Of course, our friend Etienne Zilebuetzi squared at government-scam.com slash Monica. Uh, It's every day I get a new 
I shouldn't say every day. I feel like I'm on the Red Pill Book Club for all ages with Etienne. He sent me, I didn't get to it yet, but it's just a kid's book. So he has a new offering I'm going to tell you about next time. In the meanwhile, I must say that the original coffee table book that I've told you about that I've gotten so much feedback. People love government, the biggest scam in history. I'm telling the people I know personally who have read this come back to me and say, like, with every new dystopian mandate, especially since I live out in California, it's like, wow, this is like East Germany. An example was for your Binkley, when you brought us the Rockfin video of uh, how the World Health Continuum, whatever those organizations are, not the WHO necessarily, but we're targeting adolescents to have one-on-one conversations in their homes about why they want the vaccine, even if their parents disagree with it. And another thing that I've noticed is when there's a meme that many parents of teens I know have told me, the kids say, if you, it's going to flip, but, but, so far, if you are not wearing a mask fitted tightly over your nose and mouth, you are a Republican, or at least you're acting like a Republican. Many people, that is definitely a meme that's going around. But it's that kind of thing where you get the kids to pressure or rat on or identify the parents that's straight out of East Germany. And those are the kind of comparisons. I don't know if he has that particular one in there, but I, there are many, many comparisons that are true now more than ever in this book that talks about East Germany, Nazi Germany and Stalin's Russia, as well as the U.S. today. And it's designed for visual learners. So it gets you go from zero to 60 and no time at all. It's really a great book. And there are other great books at government-scam.com slash Monica. I'll tell you more about those next time. It's very effective the way the material is presented. It really is. I mean, to the point where literally people read it once or ta- or flip through it in my kitchen and then come back and say, hey, you know, what was the name of that book? I'm telling you. And, and people have said that to me. Uh, that is just it's a service to have these books. I mean, I, I love them. So uh, so I like it when you support our sponsors because they support us. Most of our sponsors really are just supporting us. And you could also support us directly and benefit yourself by tapping into some of those videos, like the Rockfin video I was just talking about, watching them plot to get adolescents to turn against their parents. There's a lot of plotting, the conspirators plotting in plain sight that Binkley unearths in, I mean, real time. Sometimes he brings videos that have just dropped the day before that have only a couple of dozen views. And then you see as the weeks progress, that stuff just rippling through the propaganda that you and your family are exposed to. That's at Rockfin. If you're interested in that, we put all our videos there now because YouTube sucks. Maybe with the exception of the Garland stuff, which is starting to get taken down, we'll probably have to move that. Also, the Union of the Unwanted is doing their live streams exclusively on Rockfin. So if you join through our site, rockfin.com slash propaganda report, uh, you can get a special deal on becoming a patron saints. You'd have to email me the propaganda report podcast at gmail.com. But there's a lot of great things about Rockfin. And we will be having... We did the latest video. We have two episodes that are going to be dropping. One is going to be dropping later today, and we go through exactly how these Great Reset ESG standards are going to be implemented 
into local cor- into corporations and then trickle down to more local corporations. And it's really interesting the strategy that they're doing to kind of try and force companies into buying into the Great Reset. Interesting. We've we have we've gotten a lot of. Uh, I mean, there's another one too. We've got the journalist one. Oh, the up. one with the journalist, where the CFR is literally spoon feeding local journalists across the country on what they are to report about quote domestic terrorism. And when you hear this stuff, a lot of stuff you see in the news right now is going to be pretty eye opening. I mean, it's weird because it's verbatim. Verbatim, and like the weird, CFR thing came first. Yeah, weird wording and stuff that it's just it's like straight out of a Conan O'Brien. You know, montage. Yeah. If people get that joke, maybe you could put that in the show notes. So lots of stuff on offer there. And there's still lots more remaining in today's show. So on with the last story of the free 30. I got to tell you, might have to go a little long on this one. The Alzheimer's drug approval process, right? Have you heard about this? There's the it's the first time an Alzheimer's drug has been approved in, I think, decades. I did see that. And did you happen to notice that a few of the people on their outside consultancy panels have resigned because they are so uh, appalled at the approval process? They did not think this was ready for approval, yet the FDA approved it anyway? No, I did not see that. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I was joking around um, when Cam was... Here, I said, uh, oh, you know, this may be like the Ford or the iPhone is going to be Biden's next ad campaign from the Oval Office. I just couldn't figure out there was something weird about this story. And here it is. They did not follow their normal protocols and they released their their meeting minutes and memos and stuff early. For what reason? I don't know. And I have been expecting This is why I did not want people to really hang their hat on. Well, I'm not taking the vaccine because it hasn't been approved by the FDA. I said, watch out. The FDA is going to change their approval process. There's going to weaken their approval process. And you cannot like that's why when they say that out loud, like it hasn't been approved. You watch out because they are going to say, oh, I thought that was why. So now it's approved. And I want to talk a little bit about how this approval process uh, is, you know, kind of what to expect with the COVID thing based on this. So. uh, It said that they it it was approved uh, over the objection of agency statisticians who said there was insufficient evidence to support approval. So there's insufficient evidence, okay? Uh, It said clinical trial data fell short of the proof typically required to put a new product on the market. Another thing was the studies of this drug were halted in March 2019. They, They found that the... Uh, the drug was unlikely to help patients. They discontinued it. And instead of redoing the trials, recontinuing them, they went back and reexamined the data and felt that they had more of a reason to think it could be helpful. They should have kept the trial data going. And instead of keeping the trial going or renewing it, they went to the FDA with this re-examined information about this old trial. So what that says to me is, you know, the problem with the with the VAX trials is they blew them up. So people who had been unvaccinated in the control group, you should definitely have long-term studies like two years out, 
how what is the different outcome in the two groups or at the very least if it's six months and it's very clear that it's unethical to keep an untreated person then you start treating them but they didn't actually do any of that they just blew it up right away so those long-term trials cannot exist they'd have to start over right now and this is saying you don't need to do that because of the way they reinterpreted the the data is this their claim? Yeah, they not because of the way they reinterpreted his data, but the fact that they instead of saying, "Okay, this trial data, we have to do," it, what they're saying is long-term trials are not strictly necessary, right? Wow. And that's why you want the approval process. So there are a couple of things that absolutely, God, you can say what you want. Yeah, is there not an outside third party that checks this? It sounds like they can just change their own rules about it. On a whim without really you said the people resigned, but so there's not a like a third party that, you know, is held holds right. it accountable. Well, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, sets its own rules. It's a regulatory body. It is I, I mean, I was literally taught this in law school. It is a legislative body, but it, it 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 is in the executive branch. So it's totally unconstitutional. There's no question. I don't think there's any question about that. And they they wouldn't discuss it at Stanford. They would not discuss it. <laughs> That's how unconstitutional, wow. how clear it is. So so it's a you know it's a rulemaking body that sets the only rules for itself. Like there, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what their process is for changing the rules, but there's no oversight, like congressional yeah. oversight. So, so one of the things they said was that top officials decided that the evidence indicating that the drug worked, while inconclusive. I mean, it was so it was so not likely to work. They stopped the trials. They didn't even submit it for approval. They call this inconclusive, but it was strong enough to allow doctors and patients to decide for themselves whether or not to take it. That just infuriates me. I'm a libertarian. I object to the regulatory state for exactly that reason. Doctors and patients should decide they should be expected to have the individual liberty and personal responsibility on this issue. At all times, not just this time, the illiberal lie behind the regulatory state is that doctors and patients are not competent to make these decisions. So now all of a sudden they are. What about it's like hydroxychloroquine is like, don't take it, you'll die, don't take it, you'll die. You're not even allowed to ask your doctor about it. But now it's the complete opposite with what you're saying here. But here is the kicker with stuff like that. They're saying we want you to be able to decide. Okay, never. I mean, I see this happen time and time again. It's never you're permitted to have the liberty. It's never that way. If they allow it, they then require it. And they are going. This is not any kind of like there's no asterisk next to this approval. This is now an approved drug. So that argument of it's not approved, I can't require it, it doesn't have liability protection, insurance, yada, yada, will go away if the COVID vaccine is held to this new abysmally low standard. And that is a very low standard. Very interesting that that you're probably right. That's probably exactly how they're going to push these things through. There's just two more like buzz buzz phrases that I want to call to your attention. He says that the Alzheimer's people, patients have serious progressive. uh, This is an FDA guy, uh, serious progressive, ultimately fatal disease and are desperate for treatments. So are we now saying that desperation is the standard for approval? That is what you do when there's emergency use authorization. This is really swapping out 
those standards. And it does it in a weird kind of language way, manipulating the language like you were mentioning earlier. They also uh, talked about how this met the requirements for accelerated approval, which I'm sure the COVID vaccine will qualify for requesting accelerated approval, which is a type of regulatory clearance that allows a drug to be marketed even when there remains uncertainty about its clinical benefit if it fills an unmet need for a serious disease and seems to have effects against the biological signs of the disease. Now, it doesn't say anything at all about the side effects. They act like, well, it's a right to try. They are desperate. It might work. It doesn't say anything about the cost benefit analysis of what the possible impact might be. You know, you're right. I've seen a couple stories the past week about how there's going to be certain venues in certain places that are only going to let people in if they've had approved vaccinations. And I was like, approved? Which ones have been approved yet? None of them. But this is probably exactly how they're going to get them approved. Maybe. And and another thing that they do in this story is say they act like, oh, yeah, Biogen, the stock went up. The government's going to spend a lot of money on this as if it's just a, a scammy money grab kind of thing. Like, that's what you should be worrying about. That's what they when they exposed some funny business behind the Texas power outage. They were talking about, oh, you know, they the billions of your dollars went to this system that didn't end up working. Instead of saying this system is a fraud and a scam, they distract you by saying, well, how a billion, a billion here, a billion there. You know, it's it's no doubt in my mind now there was no doubt before, but now I feel like this is absolutely the template they're going to use so that you don't have to say they changed the rules for COVID. Oh, I lost you there for a sec, buddy. You got to. Oh, I muted my mic. Very interesting is what I said. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed that. I, I guess it was worth going over for. But even though I went over, I still want to shout out our good friend and patron saint molly who we have not uh talked about her her life's work lately she does the website mridie.com m-r-i-d-y-e.com and she talks about the uh, the dangers of gadolinium which is the contrast dye used in mris and after looking through her website and doing some investigation on this product uh, i really started to be concerned i've gotten mris in the past and i never had a reaction but my son was supposed to get an mri and i and i didn't i hadn't read every word of her website's quite comprehensive so i told my son hey you might want to read that website and see how you feel about getting the mri and he read it and he came down he's like i am absolutely not getting that he said i don't care whether it's a small risk or great risk i will take no risk at that so i decided to look into my family history to see if we were people who might be prone to it and i found out that my aunt got seriously ill after getting contrast eye seriously seriously ill um i think she nearly died but uh so i went back to molly and she told me that she suggested that we ask if they could do the MRI without the contrast dye. And they did. And while the doctor complained that it wasn't as good, he did see what he needed to see and everybody was comfortable. And I just thought it was a great way to be informed about your decision and your risk factors. And that was just a process we went through. And I wanted to give Molly a thank you on that. And I also wanted to thank, that's MRIDYE.com. And I also wanted to thank our latest patrons, John and John. There are two Johns. 
Charles, Kenneth, and Michael. We love having you as part of the community. And, uh, you know, if people want to join the community for as long, you know, catch up, get a lot of extra content, then unjoin. You can do that. Come and go. We love you all. We love to stay in touch. We talk to you every day on the messages and in the post comments and stuff like that. So welcome and to you all on to the patron 15. Yes, welcome. And you guys can find your drive time news blast every weekday afternoon at the properport.com or your favorite podcasting platform or the propaganda report podcast feed. If you want access to that extra content Monica was telling you about, go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report or patreon.com slash propaganda report and join up there. We will talk to y'all tomorrow or in the patron 15. Have a fantastic rest of your day.